What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Deer Vein Podcast, and this episode is specifically part of the Whitetail Series segment within my podcast. The Whitetail Series is 27 episodes in total, nine based around the early season, nine based around the pre-rut and rut, and nine based around the late season. So if you're having problems in one of those sections of the seasons, just sit down, binge these episodes. You'll get a lot of tips, a lot of tactics, a lot of strategies, You know, different types of places and areas to hunt and different types to try public land and private land, and you just get a lot of information and hopefully a lot of entertainment. I have guests on here from the Midwest, the East, and the South, so you're gonna it's going to likely retain relevancy for everybody. And then also these podcasts are going to be airing two to four weeks in advance of that section of the season so that you should be able to use the tactics that you listen to this year in your season this fall. So I hope it's a huge value to you guys. I really wanted to do it for myself, and I thought this would be a great share for everybody else. I also have a couple partners with this one, Onyx Hunt and Arrow Hunter Saddles. A couple great companies helping me advertise and push this out to everybody and just hopefully make everybody a better hunter and more successful this fall. Onyx Hunt, if you don't know, is a GPS mapping app where you get satellite maps, uh, topo maps, hybrid maps. It shows public and private land boundaries, which is a big reason that I got it. But uh, you can add waypoints, trails, all that kind of stuff as well. But the biggest reason I got it is because it works offline. A lot of the places I hunt don't have data, don't have service. So I can cache all those maps on my phone, walk around, and I still have all my waypoints. I can still use my GPS. And then as far as Arrow Hunter saddles go, like for me, Arrow Hunter saddles makes the most comfortable saddle, the Kestrel Flex. The Merlin just came out. Um, and if you're getting into saddle hunting or you want to try it, I really encourage you to take a look at them. Like I, like I said, I tried a few different saddles on. And the Kestrel Flex just fit me the best and was the most comfortable. And um, I, I, I really like them and most adjustable. Also, they're 100% made in the USA, which is a phenomenal piece. Um, I'm a big USA supporter. And if I can get keep all those jobs here in the US, I will for sure. So uh, go check those guys out if you're looking into saddles. Also use the code DVAIN10, that's the letter D and then VAIN, then the number's one zero at checkout and you'll get 10% off a saddle. All right. Without further ado, let's hop into the podcast. All right, what's up, everyone? Welcome to the podcast. Today we have phenomenal guest, um, massive, massive outdoor celebrity, Sean Lucknell from uh, Heartland Bowhunter. <laughs> um, yeah. And we're going, we're going to be talking about early season, of course. This is the early season episode. And uh, we're going to focus a lot on you know, tree stand setups, a lot of private land stuff. Um, because there are a lot of private land guys out there and we were talking earlier that, you know, they kind of set up their properties without thinking a whole lot about very specific times, when to hunt a spot, where to plant the food plots, where to set the stands, how to plan your entry and exit routes, what to plan in the food plots, how you change those year over year, all these different things that a lot of people don't think about. So we're going to dive into that stuff and we're going to talk specifically as it pertains to the, uh, the early season. So um, with that, Sean, why don't you give people a little bit of background on you for people who, who don't know? Um, I've been following you guys forever, went to your video school. Like, I think it was the second or third year and it was like eight years ago. I just like looked that up the other day. I was I, like, oh my God. I, I looked it up too. Um, it was in 2014. So that was six years ago. But yeah. Which, I remember because that. I was able to drink. I remember because I was like, nah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, we can go have beers. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. Yep. Oh, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm Sean Luchtel, um, with Heartland Bowhunter. We, um, 
we're a TV show on the Outdoor Channel. Um, you can follow us on all of our social media avenues, Facebook, Instagram, um, Twitter, whatever you guys use, we're there. Um, yeah, we've got a huge plat- digital presence as well. Um, our YouTube channel's growing. Um, so yeah, we've been doing this, I think, for 14 years now. Um, so that we're entering our 14th season. Uh, Mike and I, Mike's the other owner and host of the show. And then we've got a, a crew of guys. But Mike and I have been, gosh, we've been friends since junior high. Um, so a long time, well over half my life now. I'm 34 years old, so I was in junior <laughs> high. And what I, was, I guess I would have been 13, 14 years old. And so, yeah, we've been friends since then. We went to high school together. Um, obviously, what drew us kind of together to be friends was our, our passion for for bow hunting. Uh, my dad got me started. Uh, Mike's dad got him started as well in hunting. And um, from there, yeah, that was kind of, that's kind of what drew us together to be friends and start hunting together, started filming together. And then from there, uh, kind of rolled into Heartland Bow Hunter in college. And um, yeah, I've been doing it ever since. It's, it's crazy what it's evolved into. It is our full-time gig. Um, people ask us that a lot still. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a full-blown business. We've got um, three editors now. We edit um, our show. We edit two. Actually, I take that back. We have four editors. Um, one is part-time, three full-time guys. One guy to, um, handles our Behind the Draw series and uh, Full Strut series online. Um, you can find those on YouTube. And then we've got two guys that are editors and cameramen. They edit um, a show called The Lindsay Way on the Outdoor Channel and then um, Heartland Waterfowl, which is our waterfowl show that's on the Sportsman's Channel. And then we have um, another editor, Drew Yarkowski, that's um, our full-time editor for Heartland Bowhunter. So a lot of things going on. Um, it's, yeah. it's crazy. Um, we're about to start traveling here soon. Uh, my first hunt is North Dakota, and I'm extremely excited. So I, I leave on Monday, so just a few days away. Nice. Thanks nice. for having are me you, on. Is yeah. it, are you, where are you going in North Dakota? Are you going muleys or whitetails or yep. what's? Um, so I have an any deer tag, which I drew. Um, I think it took me about three years to draw that tag and I've never drawn it before. Um, so I'm hunting the Badlands, which I've driven through there once, maybe twice. Uh, very unfamiliar with it. I've never set foot in there really, um, per se, but, um, yeah, it's good for mule deer or whitetails. Uh, I don't even know exactly what the main food source is out there. So it's going to be a learning experience. I've got like 14 days to figure it out. So it'll be fun. We're camping, just driving around on public land camping and just going from yeah. there. Uh, I haven't you going something with? like that in a little while. Just Chandler, um, which is uh, Chandler Shoemaker. He um, He's the guy that actually edits Heartland Waterfowl, but he films me for the majority of the fall. So gotcha. He'll be oh, just man, be us too. Yeah. That'll be awesome, dude. That's some unforgiving territory out there, the Badlands. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad that it's going to be warm. I, I would never want to be out there in, like, December or, or <laughs> January trying to figure something like this out. It would be brutal. Right, with 50-mile-an-hour winds and yeah. five degrees. Yeah, that would be brutal. Yeah, Man. that would be tough. Um, so – to uh to start on the topic of kind of early season can you give kind of people an idea i know i've watched this the show a lot and and you and your dad have property right but can you give kind of people an idea of um what your kind of terrain and and your property situation looks like just to set the framework yeah so um 
the land that we own is in northern Missouri. Um, it's uh, it's a lot different than where I live here. And I'm about to sneeze. Gosh, I'm really trying to hold this in. Sorry. <laughs> And it went away. Anyways, um, so it's in northern Missouri. I live in central Missouri where it's a little bit different, really. Um, up there, it's a lot more rolling hills. Here we have we have terrain change here, but not like that, it seems like. And it makes it a lot tougher to hunt because your wind swirls, which a lot of people deal with the same thing in southern Missouri because we have the Ozark Mountains. But um, anyways, up there, there's a lot of crops. Um, but also big tracts of timber and our property is mainly timber and cover. We've got uh, an array of timber rolling into uh, native savannas, which a lot of people may not know what a native savanna is, but it's just a native grassland um, to the area. And it's a mixture of warm season grasses, um, native forbs, and then some small trees here and there and stuff, um, which is great habitat, pristine habitat for for whitetails and all sorts of wildlife. Um, and then in basically the bottom ground, that's where our agricultural fields are at, um, which yeah. I think we've got around 900 acres there. And um, there's only 110 tillable. So the rest is either timber or um, native uh, savannas, yeah. which with, uh, yeah, just rolling um, native grasses and and okay. habitat which is is perfect um and i'd say a lot of people ask us like well how many acres of food plots do you guys have on there and i would say only probably 10 to 12 acres total out of that um it's great to have food on the property but you also don't want to have an overabundance where it's it's you know it's spread out and you've got or not not necessarily spread out but you've got you know an acre right here and then 200 yards away, you've got another acre of it where, well, the deer could choose one or the other. So yeah. kind of shooting yourself in the foot there to localize them. Sure. No, and that ties into like, you know, over these podcasts, one thing that's kind of come out over and over again is finding or creating limiting factors so that deer have to go in certain areas, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's, that's perfect to your point of you can't have too much because then they can go anywhere and you know you know you can't figure out where they're going to be because they have so many options right. you know yeah um yeah uh that makes a lot of sense so and that's a great lead into just like food plots in in general um i want to get there but first i want to i want to ask you about like how long how long have you guys owned the property and do you still do like, I know you shed hunt all the time, but do you guys still do like scouting every year? Are you still learning stuff every single year? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I was shed hunting yesterday, actually. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I, was, I was, dry, I was yeah, driving through a field and I, yeah. Yeah, and I look over and I was like, oh, there's a shed and I drive up there and there was, it was actually the match set. But um, yeah, to answer your question. Um, yeah, we're learning every year. It never stops and things change um, constantly. It's, it's pretty crazy. We've had it for seven years and um, we do lease some ground around there as well. So that helps to our advantage, which we lease ground that borders the property that, so that helps um, build age structure um, sure. and kind of control that, that deer herd per se. Not that all of them still, you know, I mean, there's still deer that get killed that leave and, travel a couple miles away or whatever and get shot but 
you know, you can't control everything. Um, we just try our best to, to do our best with, um, building age structure. But anyways, um, I kind of forgot where I was going with this. Um, no, I was like, scout, like scouting and learning yeah, scouting. So, yeah. So yeah, every year it, it is different. The first year that we, we got the place, um, EHD had hit really, really hard the year prior to us owning and hunting it. And you could tell there were, there were a lot of does, a lot of young deer, tons of young deer. And I think there were one or two old deer on the property. And I know the year prior, so the year that EHG had hit, which was the year prior, nobody had hunted the property. So you would have thought if there wasn't a EHD, there would have been a decent age structure there. And it, it was terrible. Um, and for whatever reason, all of the deer were localized. Uh, well, not really for whatever reason. They were all localized on the ag fields all the time in the summer, which was great because we were trying to figure out what was there. But since then we've improved the entire place, whether it be the grasses or the, the timber and our food plots that now it's changed drastically. They're spread out right now. And, um, CWD has been an issue. Um, I, not, I can't say particularly on that farm, but in the area they've, they found cases. And so the laws have changed. I can't, we can't put out uh, bait in the summer or any time during the year. Um, and that includes minerals, anything. So we cannot put out any substance basically except water uh, in front of our, our trail cameras to see what's there in the summertime. So sure. that's changed it a lot. Um, getting trail camera photos, which that changed, I think four years, like four or five years ago, they, they brought that lawn. So it's about in the middle, between the beginning of us getting the property and now that's where we've adapted right there in the middle to that portion of it. Um, but like I said, the deer are spread out all over the place right now. Um, it's August, what is it? August 27th. And I would say that, man, I've probably only built like a third of the inventory of what was left at the end of the, of the season last year. Um, I know they're live, but yeah, I mean, I can only assume, but, um, it's something that I, I've learned over the last few years that it's changing so much and that, you know, it's hard to get pictures of all these deer in the summertime that I know here in October, coming into October they'll start to localize more on the property um, in certain areas and I'll be able to get them on, on scrape lines and whatnot um, to where I'll find out who sure. all is there. And when they shed velvet, they change too as well. So um, it, it'll start to get more interest, interesting as the time goes on. But yes, it has definitely, definitely changed a lot. Um, and every year is different as far as crops and just native food sources change for deer, their, their patterns change. It's, it's always changing. Right. Yeah. You never have it a hundred percent figured out. No, never, never. <laughs> and if we did, then it wouldn't be as fun. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so like when you're, when you first, you know, got the property and you started scouting, um, was it just, there's just like a ton of boots on the ground and then just finding like, big deer travel routes and then setting cameras and just kind of figure out where they're coming from, where they're going to, and, and really like trying to pinpoint generally where they're bedding and where you could improve and where the food tip typically is and all that, or. Yeah. Um, I would say, well, right when we first got it was, it was like, all right, let's get a bunch of cameras out and let's dump a bunch of bait in front of them and see who's there. And that worked yeah. out great. That was a great way to, to figure out, um, the inventory and what deer were living there and the age structure and all that. Um, but after that, 
Um, I'd say the learning curve was judging the size of the property. Like I said, it's like around 900 acres continuous right there. And when you first step on it, you're like, man, this is huge. And it is a big piece of property. It's much bigger than um, the majority of hunters probably have to hunt um, and whitetail hunters. And you'd think, all right, well, I'm right here on this, this uh, little food plot that we want to put right here. Um, you know, we could put one two, 300 yards from here and there's probably going to be a whole bunch of different other bucks over here. And it was really the first time that I, we figured, I personally got to figure out how far a deer ranges and, um, you know, like, yeah, I, I always assumed hunting small tracks, like those deer live, just live right there. They're just right there in that little 40, 50 acres. And they, they may travel off here and there sometimes, but they're probably they're They gotta be close. Oh, they just didn't show up tonight because they, they laid down until dark. Well, that's not really the case. I mean, deer travel a lot further than I had ever thought. And this has been a great testament as to me figuring that out. Um, Got it. And so, yeah. No, that um, makes that makes sense. Have you noticed, like, when they shed velvet, how like, have you ever been like, you know, twenty percent of our 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 mature bucks that we're chasing, you know, say we got ten on the nine hundred acres um, that we're after, two are going to disappear and we're going to be left with eight. And of those oh, yeah. eight, there's three that are hitting these in daylight, and those are our best odds. Yep. Yep. Um, I've, I've seen that happen for sure. Um, there's deer too that I've, <laughs> I've had on trail camera sometimes for, for years on end and was hoping they'd get to four or five. They got to five and I'm like, all right, I'm, you know, we're going to shoot this buck and then he's gone. And you're like, Oh man. All right. <laughs> well, maybe he got shot or maybe he moved and, and, um, like just, so the example that I'm thinking of it, this, particular buck got to five and I never got him again um photos of him or anything and then this this past fall he would have been six which I just assumed he was dead you know I didn't think any much of it anymore I was like, he's gone he's in, I haven't gotten anything and we we're shed hunting last last um winter and found him dead in a creek um and I would say he'd only been dead for a month or two so he had lived all fall long I never got any pictures of him I had cameras within a hundred to 200 yards of there. Um, he was sort of close to the line of, of the neighboring property, but like, I mean, come on, I still would have thought I would have gotten pictures yeah. of him at some point. So, I mean, yeah, they move for sure. And, they, and they're, they, they, and yeah, like they do have their home ranges, but I mean, that's changing like complete home range at kind at of yes. years old, and they're I, like, ah, I don't like this 70 acres that I've been living in anymore. I like this one better. And sometimes I think that actually has to do with the, um, the amount of deer that we have on there. There's a very, a very high number as, um, the season approaches, because I think there, well, there's some, there's a lot of cattle ground that around in the area. Um, and as cover diminishes this, like I was saying, this has a ton of cover, a ton of food, I think come to it as, as fall approaches. And then we go into winter, um, because of the abundance of covering food. And then I think that with more deer in the area, I think that actually pushes some of these older deer out in a sense, especially if there's other older deer living on the farm, they're very territorial as we all know. And I think that, you know, some deer as they get older, they're like, all right, I want to, I don't want to be there and compete with all that. I'm going to go over here. So, I mean, there's definitely a 
ton of advantages to, to what we, uh, and they definitely outweigh the, the cons, but there are things like that that do happen. That's just part of it. Yeah, no, it's interesting. And it, and it brings a valid point to a lot of people who just like, you know, lose deer, you know, cause there was, there's a good buck on the property that I was hunting last year and he was shot. Um, it, I don't think it looks, it looked like it was like behind the heart. It was low and back. And he ran four or 500 yards from where he was shot. I talked to the guy who shot him. He showed me where his stand was. He's like, he made it all the way over here, tracked it on Onyx. As the crow flew, it was like 300 yards. So he made it up and down these hills and he was running out into this field. And I've never seen him again, never have him back. And he might just be living on the other side or in a different home range. Now he's just like, yes, screw that place. I don't want to be there anymore. I'm out. Yeah. Um, and that's possible, or he might show back up on camera. I haven't checked my cameras in a month. He might be there. I have no yep. idea, but, um, but yeah, it's, yeah, no, it's, it's good to know because I mean, it just gives people other, other perspective and not losing hope that that deer's dead. They just might be in a different spot. How many, um, on the 900 acres, you would, you would think that you would have caught them on camera. I know you guys run Reconyx, which are phenomenal cameras i mean you're not worried about them just not picking up deer right i mean they're gonna right. work right. um how many how many of you guys spread out you know to really understand that piece i mean are you dropping 20 on that are you dropping 30 cameras 10 cameras um i would say and it's tough because i do think you can get too many cameras to where you're you're really chasing your tail um and you can rely on we rely on them heavily right now um, and, okay. and then going into, uh, early season, like we're talking about, but during the rut, man, I found myself just chasing cameras and it's like, you got to remember those deer, <laughs> they're chasing something else and they could yeah. be, they could be here right now, one minute, and then they could be a half a mile to a mile away. And within 20 or 30 minutes, it, right. even less, you just never know. And so I'll be like, Oh man, you know, it's, it's the rut. I'm like, Oh man, he was here last night. He's going to, he's definitely showing up again. And it's like, I, then I get him on a camera or I'll have a cell cam or something like that a, a half a mile away. And he's over there and I'm like, all right, you've got to, it's great to rely on them then, but there's times where you rely on them too much um, in instances right. like that. But um, yeah, it's, I, I would say as far as how many cameras we have on there, I'd say it ranges between, 13 to, to 16, 17, something like that. Um, okay. and, and then if it's, I don't, I don't necessarily like check them all that often anymore because I try to, the only ones that I really check a lot are the ones on the fringes of the property. So I'm not intruding on, on deer. Um, sure. but yeah, I try to keep it to a little bit lower number, but as, as we get into October, I'll probably ramp it up some because they're hitting scrapes so hard. And like I was saying, I don't have a really great inventory count right now on what's there. So um, as, as the deer start to show back up for say on the, on the property, um, I'll ramp that up a little bit. I, I don't, I don't have a count on how many I have out right now, but I definitely know it's not as many as I probably will have. So. Sure. Uh, and then another, another question about cameras is if, you know, one, one kind of concept or theory I have is that I have like uh, inventory cameras and huntable data cameras. So the huntable data cameras are, are set up to try to catch 
deer more so in daylight hours because you might have like a 300 acre bean field and they're only hitting it between 11 p.m and 3 a.m mm -hmm. right and so that's an inventory you're going to find out that the deer's there right but moving the cameras back on a trail to see how they access that field or, or further into cover will give you kind of more huntable data where hopefully you can catch them during daylight do yep. you do you have that same kind of way you go about dropping your cameras yeah and and thankful to technology uh i try to actually keep my cell cams in those data collecting areas in in the heavy cover areas or more towards the center of the farm or i don't have to go to check them um sure yeah and, and and then i'm still getting data and figuring things out but i'm not saying that i don't have cams that aren't cell cams in those areas but yes absolutely um and i think that's that's a great idea and it gives you a good insight on on what they're doing um during daylight hours yeah no i yeah and i was just wondering you know because a lot of people think like they only drop their if they have like six trail cameras or five trail cameras or even just three they only put the three on food and that's it and then you know they you see all the posts on facebook and instagram and all that and it's all nighttime nighttime activities nighttime deer and it's yeah. like that's awesome i got sick of just getting pictures of good deer pretty quick like cool these are great deer but i i want more than pictures yeah <laughs> right so sure. then it's kind of it's kind of like all right well then how do i put my cameras where i can get them in daylight and how can i like find spots to actually kill them Yep. Um, and that's when I started like really thinking about hunt like huntable data cameras versus, cause I still have, I still have cameras on food sources to see what deer are there, Yeah, but I'm not on the property. Like we have private land and I still don't, and we have 25 acres of tillable, um, and about 12 of it's in beans this year. And I still, I don't get activity until evening until night on them. Yeah. They just they don't care. Yeah. Really. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. That's a really good point. Um, and I feel like, uh, I've seen that. Well, I just checked a bunch of cameras yesterday. Um, and I, I was seeing that same exact thing, really. Uh, I, I get some of them in daylight on the crops, but majority no, I... of the activity is at night. And so then how do you, you know, how do you go about, if you're making a food plot, how do you go about setting it up so that it's, it's likely to be a date, like a late evening type of plot for a deer? How do you go about like picking where to put that? Um, well, it's tough for one, because a lot of the stuff there is like I was saying is rolling hills. So there's only certain places you can really put them. Um, and some of them were already there, which, which helped. Uh, at some point someone had to have come in there with a dozer and, 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 um, clean you know, them up. yeah, clean them up and designed them. But we had to, de we designed one our, ourselves, which is about, it's a big one. It's, it's the biggest one we have, which is great, but very tough too. Um, it's not in the center of the farm, but it's, it's, cl it's easy to get to and it's not far from the house. And it's about an, I don't know, I'd say an acre and a half and we've split it in half um, with one being clover and the other is uh, brassicas right now and so turnips and it's a staging plot we left a tree line in between that that food plot and the agricultural field which is soybeans right now 
and so then on the on the north side of it is um is all the cover and so that's where all the deer are coming from which is set up perfect for a north wind um, and, and post cold front which is an ideal situation for us so we set that one up ideally perfectly the way we can get to it easily um, like i was saying a north wind post cold front uh, having the deer filter through there hopefully come out in daylight which seems to be the case a lot of times sometimes they still come late um, and then they make their way into the ag field so. got it and so that that food plot is really set up to like just get them to stop in there and and grab a, a quick snack before heading out to the big one and it's smaller so there's more trees there's more cover it's a little bit more secluded they feel a little bit safer and then they can come out during daylight right yep yep you mentioned you also you mentioned something really important there which is like you know it sets up for a north wind and that's where you kind of you kind of said and i'm just picking apart what you said to kind of like deeper dive into it which is the covers on the north and that's where the deer are coming from so you're not trying to push the deer to bed somewhere else you know you're right. not trying to like change their entire pattern what you're doing is using what's already existing and then trying to find a way that you can get in between them and the, and the main major food which is that large egg bean field yep so then and then you're like the big thing there is it sets up for a north wind so you only hunt it during a north wind right it's yep. not it's not any any time we ever have any chance if you know if there's a buck on camera in there i'm going in there regardless of the wind no it's right. not it's like that buck is safe until a north wind yep yep that's exactly okay. right and and um i'm not i'm not the uh i wouldn't claim to be the the person that figured this out because i'm not um but we i mean as hunters i feel like the majority of us see better activity post cold front high pressure system and that's so that's what that is set up for essentially uh and we have others that are set up that way as well that are a little bit smaller which is nice because that like i was saying that one's pretty big and you see a lot of deer but you could be screwed you, i mean he could be on the other end which is you know 120 yards away and then make his way out so then you just get some cool footage man <laughs> right yeah he'll build the story but but yeah i mean um north wind post cold front um with high pressure system is is an ideal conditions for us is that and do you try to set do you try to set like your stands and your setups accordingly for that in the early yes. season yep um i feel like you have those are your best odds for sure. I'm not okay. saying that you can't kill them on a Southland cause we've done that as well too. Um, that's just like the perfect ideal setup. Um, sure. and we, we, we have some, some food plots as well that are, that are good for a Southwind. Um, but yeah, that the, I'd say early season though, is all about patience and not overpressuring it. Um, easy access, um, and, and just kind of making sure you can get in and get out without blowing the deer out of there. Sure. Okay. Um, and I want to talk about getting in and getting out and how you, how you do that. But before that, um, when you're, when you're looking, when you, when you find a new spot, right, pretend you're on a new farm and you're like, man, this, this, this bean field or this food plot is going to be great. Um, do you look at it and say, all right, how can I, where can I set up? And based on that, um, what wind is this good for? and how can i get in and out of here is that kind of 
like your process or do you kind of say, um, Hey, this spot's really good. I d I'm not going to have cameras on here. So if I just, if I want to create optimal conditions and an optimal opportunity for myself, I'm, I'm just going to find an area where I can set up in here for a North wind and wait for that cold front, you know, in late September, early October. And then the next day I'm going to be in here and just yep. wing it. I would say off the top of my head, I can think of an, um, an example um, of that situation. One of the most recent ones, I guess, was really just a couple of years ago. We had some land not far from ours that uh, we leased. I think it was a hundred acres. And I did put cameras on there in the summertime. Um, and we couldn't put any bait out. So it was just random. It was a bean field. It was a hundred acres. And then I want to say there's maybe, I don't know, 20 acres at the, and it rolled into a bottom. So in the bottom there, there were the beans. And then on the backside of that, by the river, there's probably 20 acres of timber. And so um, I got some Intel in the summer on my trail cameras there. I had two on that property and it was a couple good bucks that I would shoot, but it was very random, like sporadic. I want to say I got them twice out of a two month span. So there's no patterning. Like I had don't, I just knew they were there or hope they were there. Um, sure. And then I did actually, I, for, I forgot. I only got pictures of one and the other one I saw scouting in the summer. Um, and I, that was in like late July. So I knew he was there. And then I, I, I don't live there, so I couldn't be there all the time to see that. So he's either on my trail camera or I'm seeing him. And I can only see him the few times that I'm there in the summer. And so anyways, um, figuring that piece out, which I didn't fully figure out because we have, we have other places that we were trying to hunt and, and shoot deer. But if I were only hunting that hundred acres, the way this was set up was you're up, you come into the property on the top of that hill and there was a little bit of timber up there, but for the most part, it was just grass and stuff, tall grass and they hate it. And, um, their hay bale sitting there and whatnot. I would say scouting from a distance was, would be the best option. Um, and if I could have been there for a week straight and I was solely focusing, like I said, on that hundred acres, I would scout from a distance, see what's coming out into the field after the first two or three days and then move in to make, you know, actually hunt it. Um, I think figuring pieces out from a distance, if you can, um, I know every, everywhere it's not, I mean, other properties aren't the same. Maybe there's more cover. Maybe it's all timber. I don't know. But um, if you have the opportunity to scout it from a distance, that's the first thing I would recommend doing. Um, okay. If you're going into timber and hunting, um, not knowing what is there, I would, I would go in and try not to push it. I know as humans, especially going into a piece of, of land, you're always wanting to know what's, what's on the other side, what the grass is always greener on the other side. Yeah. Um, and I know the feeling, but I think just working your way in and, and figuring it out slowly is better than just going <laughs> balls to the wall with just figuring, you know, like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to figure it out right, right now. That's not, I mean, we all know deer, <laughs> deer have far keener senses than we do. So, so figuring it out slow is, it would be my, uh, okay. my opinion on the matter. Got it. Uh, no, yeah, that's definitely a good way to go about it. Um, and I think there's like kind of to counter that, I think there's times where you just dive in. Like if you're only there for, if you're hunting out of state and you're only there for three days, like, you know, jump in, you know, but if yeah. you have the time, like you're saying, you have the lease, you have the time, 
observation sits. And I know you guys do a ton of um, summer scouting where you're just hanging out in a corn on a cornfield edge or way far off with your spotters. You know, you're just checking everything out and seeing what's going on. Um, but then as far, so as far as um, getting in and out of these stands, right? So on that specific piece, like you're entering from a road and it, you kind of, on the video, you kind of made it look like it was a rectangle going away from you that dropped out of the valley. Yep. Yeah. Exactly right. So then if you're looking at that, like that's kind of only good for like a, a specific wind to enter that property just because otherwise it's blowing right in through the whole thing. Yep. It was, um, so you were, if you were entering, you're facing West. So anything out of the West, you could, uh, each side, each fence line on the sides, um, had a tree row, which is great. Um, yeah. for, for, um, stand situation because you can you can even hang a stand on that tree line and use it more as an observation as well because you're still a little ways away from the actual block of timber where the deer are coming from um but yeah it's set up for a west wind or north or south um, depending on which right. which tree line you decide to go down um and that's something else that i i, I meant to mention is i mean as as whitetail hunters we're all you're you're almost half deer as like you constantly are paying attention to the wind direction i mean it, it's like a, another sense like a sixth sense i feel like like yeah automatically if it hits you in the back of the neck you know you're like oh no that's not good like i don't i don't want that so just conscientious of the wind is yeah is extremely important deal, which you mentioned swirling winds in those like hilly situations like right away yeah. how do you deal with those what do you sometimes, do sometimes um so, like we have uh a food plot that was already there that we, we planted when we first got the place. And, um, the first year we went right in there and hunted, um, and it would work somewhat, but like you were, the way we were entering it was you'd go through the farm to get to like swing around and get in there. And I, I feel like that was not good. And then the more we hunted it, the more we figured out like, okay, the wind's swirling down here, some deer are coming by and you're, you're okay. But, you know, there's 20 to 30 deer that are passing by sometimes in a sit. Yeah, that's great if some of them get past you, but usually those are the younger deer that you can get a little away with a little bit more. Um, but if you're spooking deer and they're going right back to where they came from, they're obviously alerting the other deer that are there. And usually the last one to come is the one you've been waiting on. <laughs> right. So now in that situation, I don't really hunt that, that plot. Um, okay. So you just kind of like, if it's no good to hunt like swirling winds, like, man, you guys got a little sanctuary here with some food. Like I'm just, yeah, and I've, I've, I've moved up on the hill, not far from there, probably a hundred yards where once the leaves fall off, you can see down in there and it's a great, like up on the hill is not far from the road. You can access that really easily. You can hunt with a true wind on the hill and it's set up up there for a North wind. So pre rut and then going into like the rut itself, it's phenomenal. Early season, it, I don't jack with it. Um, yeah. I just don't, I kind of stay away from there. But um, that's that was something that I wanted okay. to touch on earlier. Um, there are situations where conditions could just be absolutely perfect and you can get away with that stuff because I killed a buck out down there after I knew that the wind was swirling in that area. We happen to have one of those cool, really cold, crisp mornings um, during the rut and the thermals were rising the wind was out of the east so it was like 
one two mile per hour so there really wasn't yeah. a true wind but it was so calm that all of our thermals i remember when just breathing that day and just i'd use my wind checker everything was lifting and it worked out perfect the deer came in there slowly all all the deer came back um from ag and they were working their way back in and um the deer that i killed he came into the plot then he turned and they went into the timber and then i shot him on the other side of me so it works out sometimes but what i was trying to mention was some people only have two or three days to hunt and just go in and, and try it. And, and it's actually a lot easier, I would say too, with one person versus two. I always have a second <laughs> person with me because we're filming, but if you're hunting by yourself, yeah. you can get away with a lot more than you can with another person with you. You can get away with a lot more. Um, you have less noise, you have 50% less scent. Um, yeah. And we have all this junk to set up when we're, we're hunting this, all this camera gear, but, um, there's more instances that I would probably be able to get away with stuff. So if you're only hunting it for two or three days and it's early season, dive in and try and figure it out. What do you, I mean, what do you have to lose? Yes. You could spook the buck that, that that's there that you, you you wanted to shoot. But if you can come back later on after two or three weeks, things are going to calm down and he may be back on that pattern. Or if you can come back and during the rut, you know, you at least have an idea. Too. Yeah. yeah. And it's a, it's a learning process. I mean, you do have to learn it, figure it out. So it's not yeah. foolproof there. You're going to make mistakes. I, I make mistakes every year. I'm going to make mistakes hunting for the rest <laughs> of my life. Um, but that's part of figuring it out. So, right. So then I know we haven't explicitly said this, but are you mainly hunting food plots in the early season? Is that really what yeah. you're, yeah. Yep. Just staying um, on the fringes and hunting food plots. Yep. Um, and that just, that works out in our situation. It's like I said, it's a big piece of private land. So we can, we can do that. Um, but setting them up, um, even if it were half that size or a third of that size of property, I'd still set it up the same way, um, with small food plots. Um, and I'd actually, if it was a smaller property, I'd probably make them smaller, um, just to, to localize them. I, I think a good quarter acre to half acre, uh, food plot is perfect that you can, pretty much shoot across the majority of the, the, the plot. Um, and it's on the fringes where you can get in and get out. Uh, most of these deer, it seems like early season are coming in there. And, and the good thing about early season is they're relaxed. They haven't been hunted for, you know, eight months or whatever it may be. And, um, yeah, so they're, they're relaxed. There's, there's a lot of cover. They can, they can bed close to that, that little food plot. And if you're getting them consistently in the winds, right, you can get in there and hunt them and, a lot of times it'll, it'll, it'll work out. Um, so, yeah. Do you guys set up, are there, do you have multiple stands for the same plot, you know, four or five stands or two stands, or do you just mainly hunt one or how does that um, work out for you? Yes, we have, sometimes we might have two. Um, there's one spot that I can think of that you could hunt one stand. Um, so the deer are, say you're entering it you're walking into this food, this food plot. It's set up for a north wind, basically. On the, the north side of it, the deer are coming from there. And then over on the west side, the deer are coming from there as well. Not very many deer come from where you came, where you walked in. There might be some, but not very many. And so the first stand that you would come to as you'd enter that plot is set up on the south side and it's set up for strictly a north wind. You could have a little bit of west in, in it and you'd be fine. Um, the deer going into this plot and then they're going straight east to head to the ag field that's right not far from there and so i have another stand on the east side of that plot to where if it was a straight west wind 
it's a little bit more of, um, are you still there? Yeah. 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 Oh, oh, sorry. My, my screen said your internet connection is unstable for whatever reason. Oh, uh, <laughs> no worries. From there, you're, you're pushing the, Did I lose you again? Did it cut out? No. I mean, you're just stopping okay, talking. Okay, now, now I've got you. <laughs> okay, sorry about that. No, uh, that's cool. And so I don't, I don't know where it cut out at. Um, right where you said, right before you said you're there. So you had the one stand on the south end. That's yep. good for that's good for a north wind and and slightly west is cool too. Um, and the deer are coming from the north and the west. So you kind of have that south and east side to work with. Yep. And so imagine it as kind of a square plot. Um, on the on the east side, there's a thick tree line, and then there's an a big ag field right there. So the deer are usually heading to that. Um, and so on that, that tree line, I have another stand. If the wind is straight west or has a little bit of south in it, and I feel like I really have a good shot at, at killing a deer, I will hunt that stand, but um, I try to stay away from hunting that one um, if I have to. But sure. um, if I, you know, sometimes you got to push the envelope, and if you think that it's going to happen, then I'm going right. to take a chance. And you're and, pretty and positive that. that, that yeah. deer's, I mean, because some deer, uh, you know, a friend of mine is he's starting to do this, and I think it's something I really need to start to do is kind of when you get pictures of deer that you're after, write down the weather data for that day, you know, so you Great understand, idea. like, you know, yeah, and I feel like it's something you would do for a year or two years. And then you kind of understand and you just like build a knowledge base of it. And you're like, all right, this is why the deer is doing this. But yeah, I mean, if, if you're, if you have a food plot and the bucks, it sets up for a North wind and you got deer in that field only on Southwest winds, like, you're kind of screwed, right? So you need to yeah. find a way to get in there on a Southwest wind, or you have to hope for a cold front and then get in there after that. That's um, right. And that Southwest wind, kind of like you said, is marginal. It's not bad. It's not the best because they can get past you, get around you. They can come from that North side and, and get out in that egg field behind you and blow, yep. blow it out all that. But, yeah. um, but then at least you have an, you have a chance and it, and it turns a, a situation that's, you know, bad into, into an, uh, an opportunity, possible opportunity into potential. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, and it, to your friend's point, writing stuff down, that's a, that's a great idea. Uh, another thing that we do is Mike and I organize our trail camera photos, um, by deer, like by each deer and their, their age, um, each year. And so, uh, you know, I'd go into like my 2019 folder right now and I'd see, all the three-year-olds and four-year-olds, five-year-olds. And if there's a six or plus year old, that it'll be down there. But, um, so if I'm hunting a particular deer this fall, uh, I'd be like, Oh wow, this deer showed up just now, uh, on this food plot. I'll go back to last year and I'll search the date because you can organize on your computer by date and, um, uh, in his folder and see, okay, if he was here the same day last year or the same time period, you know, that's awesome. That's great. And then you can actually get online if you didn't write it down like your friend's been doing uh, and look at uh, past weather um, over the years. I can't remember the website right offhand, but um, you can yeah, find it, been, find out the, the weather he's history. Been using Wonderground. Yep. Yep. So Wonderground think, yeah. has historical data that you can find. 
it's kind of yeah. a pain to find it, but once you find it, right, you're in, you're in it. Yeah. That, that brings up a, a great point is like trail camera organization. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Let's do that. My and mine's complete disarray. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. So like I was saying, um, I've got folders on this computer that are, uh, it goes like 2014, 15, 16, 17, because that's when we first got it, it was in 2014, I believe, or 2013. And um, each year, and then from there goes to each um, age class. So it'd be three, there'd be like a three year old, we'd name him, I don't know, Benjamin or something. And then right. um, it, it um, alphabetically um, arranges them per three year old and by name. And then from there, you know, four-year-olds to five-year-olds and whatnot. And and sure. so you see all those deer there. And then we have a, a folder called YBs, which is young bucks. And we just, we, we organize them in there the best we can, but gosh, there are so many two-year-olds. Um, it, it's hard to keep track of all of them. Um, there's plenty of times where they slip by and I'm like, oh, that was the, that's the same eight point as what I was just on there when it may be a little bit different. I try to organize them the best I can because it's cool to go back and see those deer um, at two years old. And, and sometimes I guess we do keep one year olds. Like if there's a deer that had an eye that didn't glow or I've had little, little, you know, spikes that have a, their tails been cut off or whatever. Um, or maybe a broken leg, something like that. But for the most part, it, you can't really tell very many one year olds <laughs> apart uh, or, you know, yeah. after they, they keep going, but um, yeah, that's how we organize them. Um, and it's been, it's been awesome to keep track of them that way. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's easy too. like, as soon as I dump, look at my cards, I pull each, you know, I'm going through them. I'll pull a picture and that's of a good buck and I'll dump it into like a folder right there and I'll go to the next card, same thing. And I put them all in there. And then when I'm done, that's when I go in and I, I match them all up. I'll take all the photos of this certain buck out of that folder and put them in his own folder and, and so on. Sure. And then just delete all the rest. Yeah. Okay. Um, so as far as food plots go, you mentioned like that's kind of your main target area. Um, and you have clover and half of one and brassicas and half of the other is that, are those your main foods? If you're hunting, if you're planning a plot to hunt early season, actually that's a, that, that's an even, that's a good question that I kind of want to get into, but if you're planning a plot to, to hunt early season, um, what are you putting in there? And then how do you know that it's like a quote unquote early season plot? Like why are you even considering an early season versus a late season plot? Um, I would say they can still work out early season or late season as well, but um, early season, they're still growing. Um, they're greens and that's what deer are mainly consuming um, here next month and, and uh, into October. Uh, they'll really hit them early October very hard, uh, especially with clover. Um, and that's just from experience. Um, and I'm not saying that they're not going to go to ag, and I'm not saying that they're going to go to those plots every time. It just seems that's where they, they tend to concentrate more often. Okay. Um, and I, I, I've still – I've killed bucks off of um, mowed corn before as well. We can legally mow corn here, which is a lot like baiting, I would say. Some people <laughs> might argue that. But uh, not many people go through the trouble of planting – these food plots and getting them to grow properly and then going in with brush hog. So <laughs> for a very small percentage of people in it, it's not like one little bait pile right there. It's spread out. I mean, you know, so that helps as well, but that, yeah. Um, 
And then we've killed them off of bean plots as well, soybeans. Um, but soybeans are much harder to, um, to basically grow in a small condensed area without, you know, you know, you can't, you have to fence them off if it's, if there's any sort of good deer population, they'll just nip them off as they start growing. And so I, tr I don't usually do too many bean plots um, for early season hunting, um, just because the amount of work of fencing them off and trying to keep the deer out. I do do some, but they're tough. Um, and, and so clover with, withstands heavy browse pressure. It comes right back if they nip it off. Okay. I mean, we go in there and, and mow them all the time, not all the time, but a couple times a year and um, they come back thicker. So for one, that's why we hunt clover um, is the tonnage and the browse pressure it can withstand. Um, and then with brassicas, like right now, ours are only, I'd say three weeks old and they're, I'd say, I don't know, maybe five, five, six inches tall. So uh, they've got another 40 days of growing and by that time they'll start to hit they'll be starting to hit them but once you get that first cold freeze they it changes the sugar levels in that food source and they they taste even better i'm not saying that they won't hit them early because they will but they'll hit them even harder after that first that first freeze so that first frost okay mm -hmm. yeah all right no it's that's that's good i i have no idea what to what to plan or anything like that so i've just been watching a bunch of stuff online and and uh, Jeff Sergis, it's Whitetail Habitat Solutions. He talks about yeah. clover Nebraska all the time. And I yep. like, yeah, just curious as to your thoughts. And I've, of course, I asked, I asked Mike um, what I should plant, you know. And I ended up planting clover. I haven't seen it, but we haven't had rain in like three weeks, so I sure it's not looking good. <laughs> when did you plant it? Uh, August like eighth or something like that. So that's another thing uh, that I've, I've, we, we did learn the hard way kind of with um, that property there is we, we, when we first got, we started planting clover like that. And maybe that was the, I don't know if that was the only option you had was to, to plant it in the, in the fall. Um, no, it's when I've realized it's, I was behind the eight ball and I was like, oh man, I should probably do a food plot. So yeah. I, we have a power line that runs through the property. So mm -hmm. we killed off a big chunk of it um, a few weeks prior and kind of just, um, and then, yeah, I mean, we, it was really tall. I mean, all of it was three to four feet tall, killed it all, drove over all of it with a four wheeler and just really packed it down. Yeah. And, and, um, and then we cleared off a bunch of it to reveal dirt and then, um, with, with rakes and a pallet and some other stuff and then just broadcast right on top of that. Yeah. Uh, and it's not a bad, that's not a bad thing. Um, you might not have much of a, a clover plot this going into this fall, but, um, the good thing is, is you, you knock down the weed, the weeds, um, and there's not much competition this fall for weeds to come in. And so my suggestion with that is the best clover plot I've found to have is going in and frost seeding, um, which are you familiar with frost seeding? Is that in the spring when it kind of opens it up, opens the ground so up and then closes in, in the winter? Um, okay. So I'll go in in February and if there's snow on the ground, it's even better, but, um, or the ground just needs to be frozen really. And you just go out there and broadcast your seed, your clover seed, you can put it down pretty thick. And then, um, yeah, as the ground opens and closes, freezes and thaws, freezes and thaws, it works that seed into the ground. And then that's usually the first thing to germinate in the spring. 
and it'll come in really thick and push it'll knock back most of the weeds because it'll be the first thing growing it'll just sure choke them out and then um just go in and mow it a couple times a year um, try yeah. to do it before rain um and so yeah i mean i it, okay. that i'd say a clover plot too that was some, that's something that that i just thought of is it's probably one of the easiest food plots to manage just because you can there's not all that much that you have to do if you go in and you're frost seeding it you didn't have to work any dirt up or anything like that it took you 10 15 yeah. minutes to spread the seed and you know that comes up really well and then you just got to mow it you can spray you can spray um weeds or for grass that's in there um also if you want to do that that helps but okay. for the most part it's one of the easiest plots there is got it um all right so moving on um to the food plots and we've talked about it a bunch of times um your your access routes mm-hmm. like are there any is there anything that tells you like hey i'm gonna like i'm accessing it this way or how do you how do you generally try to set up your access routes to your stands so for for one like i've saying that the wind you want to make sure you're setting your stand up for a certain wind and where the deer are coming from and heading to after they leave there as well and preferably you want to set your stand up to where your access point like if you're if you're coming in from a road system which is where we're usually coming in from is going to be on the road system is going to be closest to your stand on so on that side so say there's a a road and your, your food plot's set up for a north wind you want to be accessing hopefully that road's coming from you're coming from the south to your stand right there gotcha. um yeah and then brush hog if you can brush hog to that tree that helps even more because you're you're eliminating a lot of the noise getting to that to that stand yeah. or blind whatever it may be do you ever have like times when you set up a trail like that like you brush hog a trail to your stand and all of a sudden the deer are like oh i'm gonna use this trail they do yeah they do <laughs> um sometimes do you they do, do anything uh, about that or uh well with the stands the way they're set up a lot of times we try to be as close as we can to to the road system and and getting there to where most you know the majority of your deer won't hopefully come from that way um okay yeah the one that i'm thinking of in my mind uh yeah that that um sometimes you will have a couple deer come from that way but there's really not that much cover behind you to where the deer would be coming from there and then there's also been instances where we've mowed trails from other directions coming into that plot so the deer will, will hopefully use those and they do oh okay Gotcha. So yeah, I mean, that's a great point is not necessarily worry about them using your trail, but creating the opportunity for them to use other trails that are better, more secluded, easier to walk, um, you know, come out of where you think they're bedding and things like that. So it pushes them in sp- into specific areas. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Oh no, that's a great, that's a great point. I've never thought of. There's another thing that um, that I, I know we're, we're talking about early season hunting, but there's stands that we have in the middle of the farm that are in heavy timber. And if we don't have a like a road that we would drive a four wheeler or a golf cart or whatever to get to that stand, if it's literally in the middle of the timber and there's no road to get to it, I'll go in um, over the last month with the brush hog and I will brush hog to that, to that stand. Um, and I probably, you know, I'm not going to be back there until the rut. But that helps out sure. so much with just the the heavy undergrowth that's grown up right now. Yeah, the 
the leaves are going to fall off, but you still have all those sticks and stuff you're rubbing against and whatnot. Yeah. And so I, I'm eliminating all those right now for when I go in during the rut to hunt that stand. It makes it so much easier to get there. Yeah. Oh, it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, and you see those guys who like, you know, they, they trim out a trail and then they also take a rake in there and they rake away all the leaves and everything. Um, I had one person tell me one time that deer were catching on to that, <laughs> that they're catching on to the fact that like, he like all of his, he thinks all of his scent was on dirt rather than on everything else. And the deer kind of figured out, like they didn't really like it. <laughs> I I don't know. Right. I think that I was a one off. Yeah. I don't think that I've ever had that scenario that I've, I've encountered. I'm, I'm not saying he's wrong, but I, um, I've never encountered that. Uh, I would rather, I would rather have that situation for less noise because I, that's one thing I cannot stand, especially having someone with me because we're filming is, yeah. is all the noise getting in. And I, uh, that I can't hardly stand that when it's just loud crunchy to crunch every step so loud right. or trip over something or whatever it may be that it's, it's so nice getting in there quietly that I, and, a, and a lot of times where I'm hunting, even in the timber like that, I'm still approaching my stand with where my wind is going to be blowing too. So right. in that in that case, it, my wind's already blown there anyways. Where I just walked in, so it's whatever. Yeah, and I and some deer catch us, some deer don't. Um, we spray down and whatnot. I I do believe that helps, but it's not one hundred percent foolproof. Sure, especially with two people in the tree. So yeah. So then, have you ever had scenarios where you where you're coming into a spot and you've got good pictures of deer? And then during daylight and everything, you get in there and then like nothing shows and you figure out like, man, they're watching us come in or they know that where we're parking or something like that. Have you ever had that happen? Um, not on that particular farm. I'm trying to think, uh, well, I take that back there late season when there's less cover. Yes. I've walked in deer scatter off the hill and you're like, Oh, that's over with. Um, <laughs> early season not so much no because the cover is so thick uh, like i'm in my backyard right now and right here below my house i had i had burned all of it off um i live on a, i don't know there's four probably 30 acres of timber right here and i burned off some of the timber right here and all this stuff has grown up now even if i walked in there 20 yards you couldn't see me anymore so i don't know not really um yeah. i think literally in, in a lot of the stuff that we hunt we burned it off to where the cover comes back so thick in the summer that when they're laying down, I don't think that they can see all that much really. Sure. Oh, um, that's a, that's a great point is because, so you, you know, one of the things that I've caught myself doing is applying like rut or late season strategies to early season. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I can't access here because they're going to see me or they're going to hear me or something like that. And it's totally different. You know, I got that information from the late season, but it's totally different in the early season you can get away with so much more. Uh, and that is the beauty of early season is you can get away with a whole lot more. Um, noise is definitely less because you don't have the loud crunchy leaves. And then, uh, yeah, visibility, man, they can't, they don't really see. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that there isn't an instance where it could happen because there is, um, but for the most part, you can get away with getting in and out a lot easier. Yeah, no, I, uh, that's a great, that's a great point. Um, and something people should take advantage of too. I yeah. think, you know, like there's a big push for 
not a big push. Um, it's kind of in the, like the saddle hunting, saddle hunting realm of people wanting to try something new or try different things or, or new strategies and things like that. And Dan Infault always talks about hunting close to beds, buck beds, you mm-hmm. know, and one of the ways that could be, and I've tried that as well. And it will, one of the ways that can be really effective is early season because they have so much cover in front of their face. They're not, it's very unlikely that they're going to see you. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I talked about that and I had last year, October 5th, I remember October 4th. I remember the date. um, I just went in on that power line that I was talking about and I just wanted to watch that power line. So I set up on the tree line on the edge of it. And on the other side was we had a tornado come through seven, eight years ago, blew down a ton of stuff. And there's like kind of this little bowl, maybe it's like an acre or two. And it's just, there's, I think there's two, two trees standing and all the rest are tipped over. And it's just just like disgusting scrub. Like I hate walking through it even in the winter because it just tears yeah. all my clothes. Right. And I was sitting there watching that power line and I had the biggest buck on our property stand up and I ranged them at 54 yards. Like, you know, and he went and he made a rub on October 5th. He got up, made a rub, came back, looped around. I was watching him at 40 yards and all I could see was his antlers and his nose. Um, and he made another rub there and then he worked his way right around me. And it was the first time I ever sat there. So I didn't have, I didn't have my like extendable saw or anything. So I broke a bunch of branches and he just worked, worked his way right through the, well, the only spots that didn't have shooting lanes. You know, yeah. and worked his way out. And the other big part is he smelt me on the way out, you know, cause he got past yeah. me and he smelt me on the way out, which sucked. And I still had, I mean, he was still there. Um, to your point earlier, I got him on camera, October like 20th and he was shot the 21st, you know, 500 yards up the Valley on October 20th. He was heading. We have a Valley that kind of slowly, gently slows, uh, slopes downhill and we're kind of a, our properties, we have the north and south side of this valley and we have like a section of it, right? So he yeah. was working his way down the valley. And in the morning where he was shot was up the valley like four or 500 yards. Um, so he like worked his way through there and went, ah, I don't want to go that way. I'm sure he hit the, he actually saw the uh, public land sign that that's pretty close. He probably looked at it and said, I don't want to go in there. <laughs> Turned around. <laughs> Turned yeah. around headed back up, um, the Valley and, uh, and ended up getting, getting shot in the morning. Um, but I never even thought about it because that, that the only, that it's a very likely the only reason that happened was because he had all that vegetation right in front of his face. I couldn't even, I could see his leg when he was, when he bedded down, he stood up, I saw him. I was like, Holy shit. He laid back down. I lost him. I was like, I know he's there. Right. But and that that's very that was just a story an anecdote for proving that point is you can get close in the early season yes you can uh and and that reminds me too of a deer that we were hunting last year and he was doing a very similar thing we'd see him every time we'd hunt this plot and we had a plot on the other side of the valley um that was one was clover one was brassicas and we didn't really mess with the clover that year. It just happened to come back up because I was like, ah, that's, they're kind of competing food sources. I don't really want to jack with that. But there was still clover there and they were still hitting it. And um, so anyways, we'd hunt each side, <laughs> whichever side we were on, he was on the other one. And, it, and we were hunting <laughs> the other side because we were playing the wind. It would either be west or else it would be like 
south or something and it was just different but anyways he was betting on a hillside same thing like thick cover um and drew yurkowski that's our um editor he's he um he watches dan's stuff and, and he's familiar with all that and he's like well find his bed and, and hunt right there and i'm like man it's different with two guys and it's in a valley right there where if i get all the way into that valley i know the wind's going to swirl and there's a lot more deer that i'm competing with and all it's going to take is me to spook one deer that's going to go his direction and he's not going to come that way or you know and so with two guys it's it's so tough and if there's a heavy um or a high deer population that makes it tough as well it's great seeing deer but man it's it makes it tougher to hunt yeah oh yeah for sure um so going into going into this year i mean you said you don't have all your inventory done or anything when does your season open in missouri it opens in missouri september 15th so okay yeah we're less than 20 days away yeah um and what are yeah what's your what what's it looking like for you what are you worried about what are you thinking about um i've learned over the years not to to try my i'm not saying i still don't worry but i worry um i try not to worry as much about certain things that i can't control so um a lot will change over the next um couple weeks because it's so hot and dry right now um it's not like a drought but it's the driest time we've had this year thus far and so the deer activity is really low and i know once they shed their velvet and we get those first few cold fronts or rain or anything it's going to change and i'll start i I know i'll start getting uh, more pictures and better pictures over the next couple weeks Um, and so i'll just focus on my cameras um, and what they're telling me and until then i mean if it's slow still when the season starts then uh, i won't push it i'll go try i'll go doe hunting i don't yeah there's plenty of does and uh i've we've eaten most of our our deer meat so i'm ready to fill it back up (laughs) nice it it just depends yeah um i i by by mid-october i there's no way that i won't have um something pegged down i'm not saying that i'm gonna kill them but i'm gonna do my best to try and and i'm sure we'll we'll have some uh so the hot and i've never heard that but the hot um with running so many trail cameras you have to come across some data facts and things like that that you're like some patterns that you see i've never considered that i mean i've considered it a little bit like after cold front like oh there he is what do you know you know it's the old standard um but you've noticed that hot dry weather kind of decreases deer movement 100 percent um gosh man whenever it uh, this time of year it seems like when it rains uh it, it changes our cool weather it changes like all of a sudden my cameras will come to life and that next morning or whatever or that that evening like just it's the same thing right now a cold front um comes through and they they start moving okay um, no I, yeah i guess that i mean that makes a lot of sense i always just pictured like like cameras would just i mean they'd still get the same amount of pictures regardless of the weather it'd just be what time like i always you know i always think a cold front gets them on their feet sooner it doesn't get them on their feet because they're still going to go to that food source regardless it's just what time yeah i and i think too when it's hot and dry i i agree with you um i think they actually travel less okay it's like this i really do um and if you get that cold snap or yeah and, and some some moisture rain i think that they're prone to traveling out and moving a little bit further and and whatnot i mean there's a couple bucks that i've gotten one maybe two picks of this 
this summer and it's always been right after a cool front okay. or rain. Yeah. Um, so pretty much you're, yeah, you're hanging out and just going to sit those. If, if you're not getting good pictures or you're not like, you don't have that cold front or anything, maybe do you like, do you like leave a plot that's like, man, there's a good buck using this. I don't really intend on shooting a doe in here. I'll just kind of leave this one alone. Oh yeah. 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 If I don't think that if, if there's a deer that's showing there sporadically and I still don't think I have a good shot at him, I'm not going to go, I won't go in there and shoot a doe. Um, okay. I'll leave that one alone, but, um, and then just go to a different area or a different plot or try somewhere else. Yep. yep. Yeah. Um, and then I, like I was talking about that, that, um, that clover plot earlier, it's a bottom plot that leads into, it has two stands on it and there's the ag field over there. I've hunted that early season just to kind of see what's going on because my cameras don't tell me everything. And right. I've, I've seen a particular buck that we were hunting that year. It was a couple years ago, all the way across that ag field. He was bedding by the river and um, had, you know, came out and was eating the beans. And I watched him do that um, a couple times um, hunting there out of that, out of that stand. And I had, I, I don't know, maybe one picture of him all summer long. So he had moved over there. Okay. I didn't have a camera way across that field over by the river um, because I wasn't going to go all the way in there. It's, it's a long hike in there. And it's just something that I wasn't going to do early season, um, especially not knowing that he was there, but yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, and that's another testament to the observation sets, right? Just getting out there. Like, I mean, you said it, in a roundabout way there but your cameras don't tell you everything and oh. being in a stand and actually having the experience and being able to three see 360 degrees hear everything turn look and understand it all that gives you so much more information than just a camera sitting on a tree point in a single direction yeah right exactly right yeah, yeah. okay um yeah i had one other i had one other question i forgot about oh um, so essentially, you know, I had another guy say this is like, you know, if, if on my private land, like that I hunt and I have my food plots on, I'm not getting good deer, kind of like you, I'm going to go hunt a different plot or I'm going to hunt a different piece and maybe just go shoot a doe or something like that. Um, for people who don't have, you know, like another lease or another area to go, I, I think public is a great place to go. And it just, it gives you, it's kind of like, I use it as like an experimental piece. Like, I don't, I don't care what happens there. You know, I could bump deer and it, it's, it's whatever. Cause the guy could have bumped that deer anyway. You're yeah. not so worried about, or you're not so cautious. Right. Yep. That's a great um, idea. Yeah. So like for anybody out there who's listening, it's like, ah, I'm, I'm not Sean. I don't have another hundred acre lease down the road or anything like that. Go like, have your private or knock on some doors, get a piece of private, you know, see if you can get a food plot in there or whatever. And if it's just not showing up, either don't go in at all and don't hunt, which sucks. Like no one likes, <laughs> no one likes to not hunt. Um, mm -hmm. But go, go scout a piece of public and just try that out. Cause I mean, it might be a little bit more work, but at least you're hunting and you're not really worried about bumping deer or anything like that. And there's plenty of does on public. You know, yeah. So you're learning. You're learning by, by experimenting, like you said. Yeah. No, that makes sense. All right. Awesome. Well, yeah, no, it's been over an hour here for sure. And, um, you know, is there anything, is there anything, any like last thought that you give kind of, kind of a hunter on, 
on early season, like something that you've, that you've learned over the years where you're like, man, this is a rule that I abide by. Yeah. Um, I'd say, I mean, I know I already kind of said it, um, that we're constantly learning and we're constantly making mistakes, but, um, I, man, I would just say, don't be afraid to experiment. Um, these are just the rules of thumb rule of thumbs that I go off of. Um, I still try different things every year, um, because you are, we are constantly learning, like I'm saying, and don't be afraid to try something different. Um, it's, it's not foolproof. It's, it's hunting or every, every situation's different. Every, everyone, it's always going to be different every time. So just do your best to, to experiment and, and go off your own, your beliefs as well. Um, I've had a lot of experience, but I'm by, by no means the best there is that, you know, it, it, everyone's different. So, yeah, no. And, that, and to add to that, you know, the other nice thing about deer season is like, it seems like once you figure them out, they change their pattern or, a, you know, a different section of season they comes, do. you know, yep. you got the early season, then you got pre-rut, then you got rut, then you got like gun season, which kind of just puts everything into a little bit of chaos. Yeah. You got late season. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you experiment and get out there and get after it, two, two big pieces of advice there is, one, make sure you learn why something happened and why something or something didn't happen, right? That's always yep. a big piece. And then two, like, if you bump them, I, if you bump a deer or whatever, whatever, I mean, you can go back there in a week. They might not care. They might care a lot. You, you don't know. But, you know, in, in 20 days, it's going to be the pre-rut. And then you're, you're changing your tactics completely anyway. And that deer is changing what he's doing anyway as well. So you might be able to catch them in a different pattern or a different, you know, on a scrape or, or a rub or checking a bedding area or something like that. That's exactly right. Yep. Um, we learned from our mistakes. So if you, if you do bump them, like you just said, it, it, it's not the end of the world. Um, he'll be back. Yeah. All right, man. Well, tell people where they can find you. If they can't, uh, yeah, on uh, they don't Instagram, um, Sean uh, underscore Luchtel, L U C H T E L. That's Not usually okay. where I put out. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, uh, that's usually where I put out most of my content. Um, I have a Facebook, I don't use it all that often. Um, I do not have a Twitter. Uh, follow Heartland Bowhunter. Um, it's just at Heartland Bowhunter is our Instagram yeah. handle, and then Heartland Bowhunter on. Um, on Facebook, there's no S on the end, so don't add an S to the end. Um, and then our YouTube channel, you can see a lot of our content on there along with the outdoor channel. Um, on uh, Thursday nights at 9.30 is our primetime slot. Um, we air on Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursdays, Fridays. So, yeah, okay. um, appreciate you having me on here. Yeah, no worries, dude. I hope, yeah, I hope, I hope this brings some value to a lot of people. Um, yeah. I don't know how much value it'll bring to you because you guys are already like doing so well. <laughs> oh no, there's always value in it in anything and everything. Like I said, we're constantly learning and I mean, I learned stuff from you as well. So I'm not, I'm not, I mean, I have a lot of experience, but it does not mean that I know everything and I never will. Right. So <laughs> yeah, like pretty much Wisconsin has unlimited turkey tags. <laughs> yeah. I remember you telling me that. That's crazy. Right. Uh, uh, all right, guys. We'll catch you later.